Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, one of my favorite vocalists from the band Conflict, a.k.a. Conflict U.S., a.k.a. Conflict Arizona, Karen Allman is on the show, and this is a fantastic conversation. I'm really excited for you to hear it. More on that in one second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally solo guest booker extraordinaire, but this one kind of got an assist by friend of the show, Toby Vale. More on that in a second. Uh, Tristan Abraham, and you'll get the message to me. My brother, I love you, buddy. Thank you for all the hard work you do for the show. And, uh, yeah, um, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien. There is an Instagram, a TikTok, a Facebook page, all for turned out a punk. And those can be found at turned out a punk on their respected platforms, respective, I guess they're not very respected platforms, respective platforms. And uh, you can get in touch with the show that way. I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. Currently, we are on tour with The Hallucination, one of the greatest groups in the whole world. And some of my best friends. And there's wrestling. And it is a very fun show. We have a few more dates on this run. And you can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. That's the name of the band I play in. Um, and you can uh, come out and see the show. I swear, it is... It is a really good show. Holy. And I'm not, I'm just, I'm just in the middle, you know, we're just like the middle act between, uh, between the awesomeness. So come on out to those shows. If you're around, uh, you can also find out more information about records we put out and, and merch and all that usual stuff. Other shows we have coming up. We've got some other shows in the distant future now coming up as well. Uh, over at fuckedup.cc. All right. On to today's show. As I said, off the top Today on the show, it's a huge guest for me, from the band Conflict, Karen Allman is here. Now, if you are not familiar with this Conflict, because there's another Conflict, of course, uh, Conflict from the UK, an incredible band in their own right, but Conflict Arizona, I've always had a uh, a real deep uh, curiosity about and, and fandom for. This is an LP that came out on the Placebo Records, I believe it was a split release way back when and it is um last hour is the name of the ep a fantastic ep very different from the other stuff that was kind of coming out at the time on placebo records and and just sort of speaks to as we talk about in this episode the kind of like amazingness of the bands and the range of styles that were coming out of the arizona scene at the time i guess in particular phoenix but you know we, we talk about all this in the episode i'm not gonna force you to hear it twice but i've i've loved this band for a long time and as i said off the top when toby vale came to tristan and i and said what about getting karen from conflict on i jumped at the opportunity and so i've been sitting on this for a while because i thought i lost it and then i found it in another folder thankfully so apologies to karen for having to wait for this thing and uh yeah i'm very excited for you to hear this what you can pick up the reissue of last hour still fairly cheaply. It came out uh, way back in 2015, but uh, you can still find copies on the old Discogs website. And I'm sure you can find them in your local punk store too, hopefully as well. And that came out on puke and vomit records. And as I say, this 12 inch is fantastic. And if you have not heard this, 
check it out. It's also on all the big streaming services and the like. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore because there's a lot of good stuff for you to hear in this episode. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Karen Allman, a.k.a. K-Nurse, on Turned Out a Punk. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for asking me. I'm so excited. I, I listened to some of your podcasts, and they've been really great. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for checking it out. Because as I said, it's a mutual appreciation society over here because I love your, your, specifically your vocals, but I love conflict so much. So it's awesome to get to talk to you. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's so much fun. It's, it's, it seems now like it's, it was so long ago, but, um, but I keep hearing from people who've listened to our music over the years. And it's, it's always exciting to know that you've, you've had some sort of influence that you've, you've encouraged other people to do their own thing. So. Well, I think, I think that's a great thing about the period we're in, in terms of, of just music and culture. Like, obviously it's a saturation point, but at the same time, a lot of stuff that for whatever reason, bands not touring, getting out there internationally, or, you know, are just able to find an audience now. And, you know, I luckily discovered conflict through being a record nerd, but it's through mm -hmm. that sort of exchange of information over the internet that I really learned about the band. So yeah, I, I'm grateful to have discovered it. Well, thanks for saying that. Well, we're going to get to conflict, but I got to start them off the way they all start off, which <laughs> okay. is, Karen, how did you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Well, um, my friend Deb and I were taking a road trip to visit our friend Cortina Bandolero who was a writer and a friend um, in Los Angeles where she was studying uh, fashion design. And we got there and she started playing these records and it was the Boomtown Raps, I remember. Um, also the first, um, the first uh, Sex Pistols record. This is probably around 1978, 79, I think. And, and I listened to this music and I was like, oh, that's terrible, play it again. <laughs> So um, that was kind of my entree and Cortina knew a lot about music and she, um, she would play these records. She worked at this wonderful record store in, in Phoenix when she returned to Phoenix, she was doing that. And she just introduced me to all these bands. She let me borrow her records. The Jam was one of the bands, uh, Kate Bush. Um, and so other people who are doing different kinds of kinds of music at that point, but just all really interesting. Many of them um, were English bands, but not entirely. And then I started, um, I'm not sure how I came across that issue of Slash Magazine, but I just thought, this is this is just really amazing. And so I would buy the magazine and, and I would read about these bands, like I read about X and I just thought, oh my God, they just sound incredible. But I hadn't heard any of, any of their music at all so but there was this little ad in the back of slash where you could send away for a book of lyrics and so i sent away for this book i still have it um i i asked um Exine and john doe to to autograph it years later and she looked at it and she said huh you know i sent these out myself <laughs> and i thought oh i bet <laughs> at that point um and then i you know, gradually through my, through the record stores, there was a great one called the record room. Um, also roads to Moscow um, in Phoenix and in Tucson, they would have all these, these great records. And, and I just 
wanted to listen to you more. And one of my friends, Lee, who ran one of these record stores, knew that I particularly was interested in women who were punk singers or punk musicians. And so he would he would always have a few few uh, things to recommend to me. And and so I you know I started listening. I had the really early um, BC Boys um, um, EP. Um, where Kate was still the drummer and he knew that I'd be interested because, Hey, there's a, there's a girl in this band. And That's so, awesome. um, yeah. yeah, so that was, you know, one thing led to another. So like uh, when you were getting into the stuff, the first time, when you first heard the stuff, had you been mm-hmm. kind of aware of the media hubbub about punk prior to that? Because I know it was getting a lot of negative yeah. media press coverage at the time. Maybe a little bit. I, you know, I really was not a big, um, popular music listener. Um, I was an oboist. I played in orchestras and in bands. I really felt like the music of that era did not speak to me. Arena rock and the Eagles and all just really was not doing it for me. And then I, uh, I I think I saw, it was like a, a program on like ABC or something like that at 1030 at night showing the Sex Pistols, who I had heard of at that point. Um, And I think it was right around the time they broke up. And I think you can still access this video on YouTube. Um, And and it just looked, it just looked kind of horrifying and interesting. It was impossible to look away and really, really different from the sort of popular music that, you know, I listened to, you know, that kind of was part of the soundtrack of the era. So, uh, it, it, it's so interesting talking to people that, you know, obviously were into music prior to punk mm-hmm. happening and just how there's almost this feeling of waiting for something to happen. Like there was just a, a staleness in the air or something like it, it feels like the people that gravitated towards it had been waiting for this thing to happen. Yeah, I think that's really true. And especially for, for me, I grew up in, uh, Phoenix, kind of in the North End, um, which was kind of um, kind of the white suburb of uh, suburban North End of Phoenix. Now it's a very depressed area, um, very conservative. I couldn't wait to um, get out of Phoenix, get out of my neighborhood, and have my life begin. Um, at the time, I, this sounds so terrible. It was like 1976. I graduated from high school, but. People were joking about, oh, you're going away to university, get your MRS degree. I mean, can you can you imagine yeah. saying this? I mean, yeah. it's just like seriously. And I think only maybe 25% of the people in my high school went on to any kind of higher ed at that point. Mm. Hopefully more have. But you know, you just people, you know, they went to church, they they got a good job at Sperry Rand or Hughes Aircraft or something. And uh and I wanted to just get away as far away from that as possible. And actually, I was thinking at that point, I really wanted to move to Seattle, but I, I didn't get to do that for many years. But Tucson was great because, you know, there's the university there. It's a little more liberal to libertarian sort of a, an, an atmosphere um, in that town. And they've had a music scene for for many, many years. Different kinds of music were being played. but a lot of the the bar bands at the time were, and it's probably still true. Um, basically, bar bands made their money by playing 
like stairway to heaven and stuff like that the bars yeah and then maybe we would get a chance to play with a couple of bands and we get like 25 bucks or 100 bucks maybe for the headliner um and you know just really there really wasn't much there for me at that mm -hmm. point but but you know as soon as i came back from 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 los angeles some touring bands were starting to come to to university of arizona where i was a student and so i saw talking heads on a very early tour and the ramones and then there was this place um called tumbleweeds which is this terrible bar on great name <laughs> north, for it <laughs> north fourth avenue it, they had bar bands they had uh, at happy hour 25 cent beers oh. and a dollar well drinks i didn't drink i'm not i'm not i've never been a drinker but um so um and they started booking some punk bands i think they just wanted to do something different and they were also i think involved in this record store in town and you know some interesting things were happening at that point well, that's the thing I find so fascinating about the stuff coming in or, or out of Arizona at the time is because it's so diverse in kind of its uh, take on new music, punk music, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's also it's it's just so out there compared to any other stuff that was going on around America or even internationally at that time, like from yourselves to JFA to mm -hmm. Sun City Girls to Killer Pussy. Like there's just so many great weird <laughs> bands coming out of it. Yeah, Giant Sand was another one. Yeah, yeah. I think our first, the first band was a band called The Suspects and mm -hmm. they played Sex Pistols covers and other kinds of things. And then they tried to remake themselves as a new wave band. Some of them became, I think their band was uh, Gentlemen After Dark or something like that. <laughs> Very popular, um, really fun. Green on Red was another one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they moved to LA, right? Uh, yeah. And became part of the Paisley Underground, I think, right? Yeah. So doing really interesting things. And and then also there were a lot of touring bands coming from Los Angeles. And those bands included the Alley Cats. Amazing with, band. Um, yeah, incredible. With this fantastic um female um bass player she played she didn't play with a pick she did kind of you know what do you what do you call it without the pick uh, i get playing. finger plucking I, i'm finger a lead plucking, singer yeah. so i have no idea <laughs> yeah yeah me too um but she was incredible with an incredible voice and um also the plugs came and and um black flag and and one of the things that a lot of these bands have in common is a lot of people of color in these bands and some people have been whited out. There were a lot of Latino people, some Asians, not very many, but some. Um, and and I think I was watching Diane Chai play and I thought, well, you know, I can't play like that, but you know, maybe I could be in a band. And so some friends and I thought, oh, well, we, it was kind of a joke that we were gonna have a band and this band was gonna have the worst name ever. And so the name we picked with this was the tampon eaters. And <laughs> I was so, going to ask you about this band. <laughs> we played one show uh, under that name, and we were op the opening opening band was a band called the Seldoms. They were sixteen, and we were playing at um, this this place called Jekyll's, which was a drag bar and disco on the Miracle Mile. Which you know, the Miracle Miles are always terrible. These terrible, terrible, horrible places. <laughs> and, 
this was actually kind of a nice um, place. And I was friends from, I was friends with the drag queens as we all liked Rocky Horror. And so I said, hey, we have this band, can we play? So they let us play, <laughs> but they didn't want the 16 year olds playing. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, at that point we had two, two singers um, and the band, you know, imploded over, you know, differences in musical style. We had a guitarist that was really into rockabilly. I, I really wanted to be in a ska band, I think in part because they were racially integrated bands singing about issues. Um, not that, you know, I could play a sax or anything, but, um, but in, and, uh, so anyway, that band imploded, and then um, the drummer Nick, who who functioned as our manager, basically, uh, he was our drummer. Um, he booked the shows because somebody has to book these shows if they're going to happen mm -hmm. uh, in these small towns. And we opened for a lot of those shows, and a lot of the bands would stay at my apartment um, the night, you know. So. Um, and Nick and I started a band with a, this guy named Zach Hitner, who is a, um, he's a graphic designer. And I think he moved out to Seattle with the Super Suckers, but he also does other kinds of commercial design, really creative guy. Um, so, so we started a band, that one imploded other, over other issues. And um, Nick uh, put in an ad at the local music store with all of our influences and a guy named Bill Cuevas joined us um, as our lead guitarist. And he really was the heart of the band because he's the one who could really play. Um, the rest of us, you know, pretty good. You know, we did what we could, but you know, he, he's an amazing guitarist. Um, and then Mariko, who I'm still in touch with Bill and Mariko and, and uh, also um, Nick. Um, but Marco was volunteering at the Red Cross and I had just come back from a trip to Japan and she's, she's Japanese. She's from Japan, mm -hmm. um, but has lived most of her life in the, in the States. Um, so we, I think she complimented my shoes or something and we started talking and I asked, Oh, can you play? Well, she could play the piano. Um, and her um, husband was a professional bass player with the National Symphony. And also he was with the Philadelphia Orchestra for a while. <laughs> he taught her how to play bass um, and lent her uh, electric, electric bass. And so, um, and that was the, basically the, the core of the band that, you know, we made that, that EP that you were talking about. Um, and also we're on another compilation album, but that was the, the kind of the major lineup i guess for conflict there's so much i want to talk to you based on what you just said there but going back to the alley cats a, a mm -hmm. super underrated band and oh yeah from single to that lp like everything they did mm -hmm. i didn't know this till a few years ago but also that uh diane steve mcdonald and jeff mcdonald from red cross's cousin oh my god i had no idea <laughs> i know it's oh so my gosh. cool <laughs> wow yeah yeah it's it's a it's These a very small it's a very small world you know and absolutely the, um I, yeah go, going back to that trip to japan you mentioned did you take in mm -hmm. any punk culture when you were over there yeah you know i i um 
was traveling with my mom, so a little limited there. Mm -hmm. And but I was wearing my black flag badge and had my hair and my, you know, cool punk rocker hairdo. And uh, I went shopping for punk records and um, I went in this record store. And of course, I can't read Japanese. So I was like, saw this guy who looked like a like a somebody who might be interested in punk. And I said, hey, hey, can you can you show me the punk records? You know, what are good records? And he was like, oh, I don't speak English. And I said, <laughs> that's fine. I don't care. I just want the punk records. And so he helped me. He helped me find some. And um, I can't, you know, this is so, so sad, but um, I no longer have the records and I don't even know what, um, what they were at that point. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But later on, I became, you know, big fans of bands like Shonen Knife, which I think they were a little bit later. Um, uh, there's some incredible punk bands that have come out of, of oh, Japan. Absolutely. So. Some of the greatest bands of all. The Gaze, who just broke up uh, mm -hmm. the other day, right? Like 45 years mm -hmm. they were a band and the most powerful punk band on earth. Yeah. And, you know, to do it in that in that society, in that culture, you know, my mom was from Japan. She grew up in a really rural little town and she met my father who is white and American was there. They both passed on, but he was from a similar town, um, but in California in America, but basically it's the same, you know, tiny, terrible place that you want to get out of. And uh, so um, I knew that she had left um, a life that she didn't want to live, you know, as a farm wife, arranged marriage and all of that. And, uh, and there's still a lot of, a lot of conformity. I was just there with my, my, my wife, um, in 2019, um, we visited my family and also did some touring around and still very conservative, but, you know, people kind of managed to kind of do their own thing anyway. I mean, there's a cost to it. But, um, well, yeah, like not, not, <laughs> well, not to undercut that cost that you mentioned, but I think it's like you were saying earlier with, with Arizona too, like when things are so conservative around it, it makes the art that comes out that much more intense, I guess, because yeah. it's, it has to rebel harder. Yeah. And, and there were people doing all different sorts of music and, you know, it later solidified into everything had to sound the same, but. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, but um, there was a lot of camaraderie, I think, for that reason. And also, if you dress just a little different, like maybe put on a pair of fishnet stockings or something kind of really minor like that, people would get irate. They would scream at you. They would stare at you. They would, you know. So after a while, it becomes, I'll give you something to look at. And uh, so anyway, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> But um, one of the guys, um, um, I went to a show, I think it was maybe when, maybe that we were still doing the, the eater, the tampon eaters that became the eaters. And I was wearing all this makeup and everything. And this guy was working the door and he, he was in a kind of a band that became famous. And he's like, oh, you know, you know, you're really pretty. You don't have to wear all that makeup. And I was kind of like, he thinks I'm wearing this makeup to be pretty. That's amazing. <laughs> so funny. This guy. Very nice. But, you know, 
you, you bring up an interesting thing too about how there is a power that eventually comes from it when when you, there is that sort of fear but then ultimately there's a power in just completely rejecting society and i think that's why mm -hmm. it's still intoxicating for young people oh yeah so great um and you know i think you might know that i was a psychiatric nurse um yes during nurse. This, this whole time right and uh <clears throat> i wasn't the head nurse but i was the charge nurse and um it's you know a lot of the things that i saw i mean we see a lot of chronically mentally ill people living on the streets now um and certainly there were some people but those those very very vulnerable and in some cases very sick people were the people that i were in the hospital where i was working and i learned a lot about um cruelty and abuse and trauma and horrible horrible things that happened to people i had i had had no idea and i think you know looking at people on the street now that's not visible to you as you walk by somebody who's like lying on the street or maybe hallucinating and talking but you know we knew people's stories and um it was it was really heartbreaking because there's things that you can do and there's a lot you can't change you can't go back in time and and help people and for me punk was a real outlet in that i would sing about things that had happened and i would have to disguise things because you know you don't want to violate confidentiality but mm -hmm. you know a lot of the things that i'm singing about are are things that happened like the there's a song that we sing that I wrote about um, a man who came home and his um, his sister and his sister's roommate were both murdered and he came home from his his um, psych you know he was working in the psych unit as a med student he came home and he was that's what he saw yeah um, and then I think that at first I think police were thinking maybe he'd done it or something it was really it was horrible. So it, it, it happened both to people that were working in psych, but, you know, certainly the people that most of the people that I was working with were either committed against their will or under threat of commitment. Um, and a lot of those people no longer get treatment. They are, they are sent to jail, um, which is, is not, not a good situation. Um, no, it, 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 it feels like that that's the one well no, there's a lot of things in society that haven't evolved but certainly the treatment of mental health issues as as now there's seems to be a lot more understanding that how mm -hmm. much of a factor mental health issues are and and everything um mm -hmm. but yet there isn't that push to i don't know to provide treatment to people or mm -hmm. to at least provide the proper treatment to people like I, mm -hmm. I you know you see it up here as well in canada even though i think we tend to wear rose-colored glasses up here a little mm -hmm. bit more. Yeah, it's yeah. One of the the hardest things that happened was one of the punk kids um, showed up one day on my unit. One of the people that I had known a little bit and really sweet guy who I'm not sure what happened with him, but you know, around that time um, when you're like an uh, like teenager to early twenties, you're really susceptible. Um, and a lot of people can smoke pot or do things and it doesn't affect them permanently, but some people are very vulnerable 
and something happened to him and I'm not sure if that was substance or he was beat up or whatever and he just was like psychotic and really heartbreaking to see kind of the world's combined there and also some of the some of the people would hang out um at that at tumbleweeds later you know because it yeah. was down on fourth avenue where people would hang out and so um oh, i was going to ask you because it was it a heavy drug scene in the punk scene like in terms of psychedelics no. and stuff like that back then nope no nope. wow no a lot of people were straight edge mm. i was straight edge I'm still you know, straight edge, not like militant about that, but um, a lot of people didn't even smoke pot. People didn't have a lot of money <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and some people did, you know, but um, there's a little bit of a divide, I think. Yeah. And I was kind of more on the let's not do that side of things. And, um, and it was difficult too, because there would be kids that would be like 14 to 16 year old boys who, would be blasted out of their mind on something and just like horrible and getting beat up, beating up other people, making trouble. And I just thought, Oh God, I, you know, now I think back and I think, why didn't I not have more empathy toward for these, these kids? They, they just really fucked me at the time. And then later I read uh, Noah Levine's book, um, Dharma punks. And, and in the bookstore, I actually got to, um, work with him and present him in Seattle. But um, I learned more about what people's lives were like and what kind of was the issue for, for them. And, um, and then, you know, and I felt bad that I wasn't more sympathetic, but at the time I was like, Oh, they're ruining the scene. You yeah. know? Well, so Well, Nicole Panter, yeah. when she was on the show, um, had this great line about how, you know, punk at times, it's just, it's people with trauma inflicting mm -hmm. that trauma on other people and thus handing down that trauma. You know, it just felt like mm -hmm. it is a place because it draws, you know, obviously amazing, creative, mm -hmm. cool people that wind up doing awesome things, but it it's just a place that is open to everyone. And sometimes mm -hmm. people that are drawn to it need it. And sometimes the wrong people are drawn to it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then there's unfortunately always people kind of that would take advantage of, of people oh, you know, whether yeah. they're mess girls or these huh, the young kids that i was talking about mm -hmm. and you know i was very sheltered um and didn't know a lot about a lot of things i think when i was was involved in punk and and in a lot of ways had really positive experiences with people. I mean, I was letting these bands of guys I didn't know come and stay with me in my apartment. Nothing ever happened. People were really nice to me. And I don't know if it was just like the nice people were coming through in their bands, but you know, DOA stayed with me. They were, they were wonderful. I, um, Dave talked about, what it was like to drive through the desert and climb a cactus, which we thought was crazy Canadians. <laughs> and they drank tea. I was like, oh, I've got some tea. And they're like, we like tea. <laughs> I was like, oh, they like tea. Oh, they're Canadian. Okay. So uh, Joey, Joey Shithead uh, got reelected this year, right? Up up mm -hmm. where you are pretty much close yeah. by up in Burnaby. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it's nice to know that yeah, like that's like as much as there are these terrible people and mm -hmm. and horrible people, but like you're saying, there are so many great, mm -hmm. wonderful people that 
are yeah. still great, wonderful people all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, you know, or people that, you know, they're complicated people like um, Black Flag stayed with me a few times too. And um, they were also, when I first met them, they were vegetarians and very philosophical and, you know, things, you know, things are really complicated for them now too, but yeah. um, really, really interesting people. And uh, also Husker Du uh, had no idea that two people were gay in that band. <laughs> <laughs> Not just me, um, but uh, yeah. Um, one of the, one of the um, more interesting people that, you know, really helped our band and I think was, was so great was Michael Cornelius um, from JFA. Mm. And you know, JFA skate band. Um, and he wrote about us in his zine, Gagging Dog. And I think other people saw that zine. Um, he, I think he had something to do with us um, going on tour to Los Angeles with them. Um, he also produced our record. And um, later, you know, so, you know, I was involved in the book business for probably about 30 years. And uh, one of the people that I met along the way um, was a publicist for Tor, and we were talking about our past, and she was from Phoenix, and it turned out that she at, was very young and very messed up, and was at Phoenix College, which is uh, Michael Cornelius's day job was at Phoenix College, working with students, um, and she said, he saved my life. He He helped me he helped me make the right decision at a certain point and I'm here because of that. And it didn't have to happen that way. And he had, she just had so much gratitude for him and he worked at Phoenix college for decades. And I'm sure that there are many more people he did that for. And now he's playing with the father figures and doing this placebo, um, placebo records, oral history project. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm excited about yeah. that. That sounds awesome. Because, yeah. uh, but they're a band that like seven seconds, like DOA, that mm -hmm. everyone has a great story about them and them on tour. Yeah. And it's just, they feel like, yeah, like they were almost like the ambassador band in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, like going out mm -hmm. there and kind of spreading the the word about the scene. Um, mm -hmm. It oh, seems absolutely. like. Well, you know, with all that blatant localism and yeah. <laughs> territory and skateboards and stuff like that. And yet they're kind of opening up the world. And yeah, my, my favorite show that we ever played was with them and a couple other bands at the Vex. And I know the Vex was in a couple of locations in Los Angeles. And that, that was just, just the most amazing show. Um, to, to be there and to have that kind of response in an audience and, and also just the, the fashion and the openness and yeah, it was, it was hard to see things kind of move toward the whole uniform thing, you know, even though, you know, we're doing hardcore and hardcore became like the way, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of openness toward women singing in bands or being in bands at all, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I think I think it was really true. And I think that that has both made us less popular <laughs> back in the day, maybe more popular now because there were fewer of us that kind of stuck it out for, and I think we did it for something like five or six years. So 
I, I think, well, you're right. Cause so many people come on the podcast and talk about particularly in Los Angeles, obviously like that. Mm-hmm. It's almost become storied now. The, uh, the hardcore invasion and just all the, mm-hmm. all the diversity and all the inclusion that exists in that early punk scene kind of being chased out or, or at least pushed to different yeah. scenes. Cause there's a lot of people that took up and made incredible music in other spaces mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough thing. Um, that I, um, I warned it. I, you know, when I moved to Seattle, I kind of turned my back on that, but, um, but it was kind of interesting to be kind of pre riot girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have asked, you know, were we part of riot girl? I was like, no, cause we're older. <laughs> and also because, you know, riot girl is almost entirely white. Um, so, but, but we did influence, like Toby Vela said, we've influenced her. Um, and certainly Donna Dresch interviewed me for Chainsaw and we stayed in touch for, for years. And I certainly have followed her, her career and her bands and she's done some amazing things. She introduced me to Homocore, which I didn't know about at all. Um, Toronto. So- that's Toronto's yeah. contribution right there, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so interesting. And um, and even though I really wasn't listening to much music once I came up here, I was reading zines and ordering zines. And, and that was one of the ways that I stayed kind of in touch with, um, with kind of what was going on. Um, and, you know, it's kind of for a while, it was like, you can buy books or you can buy records and you can't buy both so okay i'm going to be buying books for a while and not not do the record thing but um but one of the reasons why we were um i think we're known out here is um there are a couple guys calvin and brett who started a band called beat happening and this was before beat happening and before they were on chaos radio um they were 16 i think they're hitchhiking their way through the Southwest and they, I ran into them or met them at a show, gave them a record, talked to them and they took our record and played it in Olympia and they played it on the radio. And um, so a lot of people out here know about us. So it was because of them also maximum rock and roll wrote about us. And so because of maximum rock and roll, we had, distributor in Munich and the Finnish punks and um, other international punks would send us um, their records for an exchange for exchange. So that would be really fun. And I kept some of those letters that I would receive and people would write about their lives, like in Northern Ireland or all these places that I never been to that I didn't really know much about. And kind of punk was the entree to my learning more about kind of politics and people's life situations in other areas and I found it really um it really opened my mind it really opened my heart to different kinds of people so um and and some of these people have come along later like there's this guy um does this zine called failsafe his name is David Ball and on Facebook, he wrote me and said, hey, can I interview you for my zine? I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> Do you ever come to London? And as a matter of fact, I, I was com- going to London. And so I met him and we sat in Russell Square and 
he had basically asked various people in my life stories about back in the day. And um, he's interviewed Jennifer Blowdryer and just like all these bands um, from the UK, from the US, from other places. And he's just a total 80s um, enthusiast. And so I became friends with him and his wife. And so we were (laughs) supposed to see, I was just in London. I was supposed to see them, but instead I got COVID there. So that was very Uh, sad, but I'm sure. (laughs) The worst gift you can get on the road now. Yeah, horrible. But you you bring up a, a a great point about this thing is I think one of the greatest parts of particularly the hardcore DIY thing that begins to happen in the eighties is that you have this sort of like decentralized scene where people are communicating and exchanging ideas from all over the world and it's it's a precursor to social media but it's also mm-hmm. so much better because it's not touched by anything else it's just self driven by people wanting to be in touch with people yeah they just you know, they would just write with an IRC international reply coupon in their <laughs> yeah. little envelope or, you know, send their dollars or their, their check for 250 or something like that. And, you know, we would, people would write scene reports and that's how, excuse me, how you would find out about, um, about various kinds of bands. Um, and, uh, and what was kind of, um, interesting to me is that you know uh, it, during this time is a time when I'm kind of trying to figure out my my sexuality, identify as lesbian, and, um, but you know it's kind of like it was the '70s, trying to like you know it, it was just a really different time. I mean, mm-hmm. There wasn't like marriage equality, you know. <laughs> I would have laughed at <laughs> marriage equality, <laughs> you know. It just uh, so. Um, so I was singing somewhat veiledly, somewhat kind of openly, queerly about about um, relationships and love and things like that. And but what's interesting is the message seems to have really gotten through, even though I was kind of being oblique about it. So it was kind of a it was kind of fun in that way um, to kind of find that out. At the time, I was like a little. A little uncertain as to how um, how open to be, because you know, it's bad enough to be uh, a girl doing punk or woman, and more difficult as a as a lesbian. You know, but, I was when when Bruce LeBruce was on the show, um, he was talking about how homocore. <laughs> Yeah. You interviewed Bruce LeBruce. I'm oh, gonna have to go and listen to that. It's awesome. You <laughs> gotta listen to that one. He is he's uh-huh. a, 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 a like an icon, obviously. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, when he was saying with with the homocore stuff, because like you know, going through old issues of Blab and all this, mm-hmm. you, you know, you see these lists and these playlists of these bands, and he mm-hmm. was like, "Yeah, I was constructing my own scene. Like it didn't matter mm-hmm. whether or not this band was actually gay. Mm-hmm. I was going to take their lyrics, even if it was a homophobic lyric, and I was going to subvert right. it and make it part of homocore because I was." Right. It's like this postmodern thing. And huh? Toby kind of echoes it too with Riot Girl. Like you're saying, like she was picking bands and the, the influence she was drawing could be conflict. It could be, you know, a band in England. It was like all mm-hmm. these sort of things that you're pulling together and you're like, well, I can make my own universe of, mm-hmm. of stuff, what I think fits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> Were you, yeah. Um, and, and, the thing is, is that at that time, even like a small critique 
I mean, we have Me Too now, but a very small critique. There would be so much blowback. It was so kind of crazy. Like, mm. oh, I don't like this record cover. And I think this is offensive. It's like, well. <laughs> so, I mean, you had to have a sense of humor and be kind of brave and kind of build that into the thing that you were doing. Or, I don't know, you would just get totally alienated from the scene and it's your scene too so so well, why well that's what i love about you know uh riot girl and obviously sister girl ride mm -hmm. in new york and and, and mm -hmm. homo core is like the like you're saying the idea of like taking space like mm -hmm. this is my scene and i'm gonna make mm -hmm. and, and and then years later here we are and and now the scene's completely different right mm -hmm. like you look at the punk scene now it's, it's like what punk always thought it was but now it actually mm -hmm. is this mm-hmm yeah, and, and I love that, and I love that, you know, it's like, to me, I see someone walking down the street with a dead Kennedys t-shirt, and they're like 20, I think, okay, but, uh, you know, I'm just like, what are you doing, you know, what's, what's your band, what are you, you know, what is your, how are you inspired to create your own thing, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was kind of cliche, but the whole punk, punk um, motto of think for yourself, um, you know, that's, I was always kind of hoping that something like that would be kind of coming through for people. And I, I um, think, I think it has, like, I think, like you're saying, there are, there are definitely people that are, you know, religiously adherent to certain eras or certain types mm -hmm. of bands, but there's also still like, I, 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 we played with this band ADHD this summer in New mm -hmm. York and it was just the, what they were doing with the sound. I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, this is something, a completely different take on it. Or just, mm -hmm. you know, when you hear a, a band that's kind of incorporating new elements into the sound that they're doing, mm -hmm. I find there are kids, like you're saying, it's not going to be, it's not, it's certainly not the Arizona scene where you have Sun City girls playing beside mm -hmm. the meat puppets, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I find there is yeah. still this sort of like spark that kids get out of it. And, you know, and there yeah. is like them pushing it in their own little way. You know, the, a band that I really loved that did that was um, Girl in a Coma. Mm. And that, I think partly because they're Southwest, they're Latina, um, and they're really drawing on, you know, you know, Norteño's music and, um, and, and also kind of like, I guess, like 50s rock and then their own, their own kind of punk thing. I just thought they just created such a wonderful a wonderful sound a really um really original um and eye-catching and, and just really beautiful and they were on um Joan Jett's um uh the uh, Black Arts um label and so you know that was that was cool that that was kind of that little little thread um, another band that I was interested in is the Linda Lindas, mm -hmm. um, just because they were so young and kind of doing their thing. And one of the, one of the, um, musicians, um, dad was a giant robot founder and I love giant robot. Oh, um, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, know, I know one of the musicians, uh, fathers is like a music producer, Mm -hmm. And he was the drummer in the old, in that punk band, FYP, who I love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there is that, yeah. that sort of lineage there too. But yeah. that's awesome. That giant robot thing. Yeah. I love that magazine. 
Yeah, there's there's a great PBS um, special right now on them. And, you know, it was like uh, one of the things that they 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 look at the origin uh, and also the idea that um, at the time that they were founding there, founding that um, people were saying to them, there's no such thing as Asian American. There's no Asian American culture. And then also all of this. Um, this pressure to be a certain way, respectability, politics and everything. And they were just, you know, they wanted to write about what they wanted to write about. So Hong Kong films and food and punk. And one of my favorite things was they went out to Manzanar and skated at Manzanar in the reservoir and talked about it and did pictures. And at a time when I think a lot of people were in my Japanese American community, um, we're trying not to talk about it and trying to forget about it and trying to, you know, be 110% American. And this is all before redress and everything. Mm. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, that was one of the other things that encouraged me when I was getting started too, was um, that band um, channel three that became CH3 and, there's a guy who's mixed um, Japanese American, Mike McGran, who wrote a wrote that song Manzanar, which um, that's where I learned about it as a as a young yeah. person. And isn't that great? Because you you listen to that and you think, what what is that? And in my case, it's like, oh wow, we are here. This guy, his name is what you know. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote some kind of terrible coffee cat song but then you know then i was like well i bet i could write something here and um so yeah i admired them and you know one of the things that we also wrote about um you know and so our our ep is called last hour and the the album art is um now i don't know that I, I don't think I would have picked this album art, but at the time, um, it, it it's it's inspired by photographs of the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the bombings. And at the time, there was very little talk about it at that point. Um, I think there had been earlier, and then there was this silence. And so we were worrying about nuclear war happening and also not talking about what it really meant. And so we got a tattoo artist who I think Nick probably, I think Nick found found him and he drew us into these scenes of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so, you know, you could look at that as, you know, maybe that was exploitative, um, though they didn't, the, the artist chose to draw us into the pictures rather than having like pictures, you know, renditions of people that were actually in the photographs. So I think that was good. But I think that it was important to me to have people see that and be curious about it and be interested in it and be horrified by it. And uh, so hopefully, uh, so I'm, I don't know. I, people haven't asked me about that, but that's one of the things that I've kind of been mulling over, um, you know, that maybe I would have, would have done a little differently. Um, but I'm glad that, that, um, that art is out there and that at least some people are thinking about it. 
um, because otherwise it becomes an abstraction. The government pictures are all of, you know, this kind of cleaned up ruin and there's no people there and there's no, you know, none of the stories that, that, um, that came of that, you know, came that were part of that uh, horrible thing, um, horrible uh, bombing. Uh, so I, I think it also speaks to a way that, you know, we're still talking about this record all these years later, which I'm sure was mm -hmm. not something you ever entertained that oh. <laughs> it's now been canonized and, yeah. <laughs> and it's something that, you know, people will pay uh, a premium to try and get an original copy of. Yeah. It, it was interesting to see it come out in a new, uh, the new, the puke and vomit, um, version of it. Um, that was that was interesting to see that was inter there was interest um and uh <laughs> yeah it's kind of and also there was um you know the last song on the on the album is called you choose which um i looked at the lyrics and i thought oh my god this is so depressing we have to have something some a little you know not the same um for for this album and so i kind of did it as a is an add-on kind of to get people thinking about their own role and their own um, ability to make make a change, make a positive change, and and then I I find out that um, there's actually a photo book by Ed Arnaud, who is a photographer of um, based in Phoenix, but he took photographs of us too, and um, so he named um, the book after the, his photo book after one of the lyrics. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, uh, there are two bands that have come up on this podcast many times, and I got to ask you mm -hmm. about your experiences with them. Uh, first one being the Mighty Sphincter. Uh, did you play with Mighty Sphincter at all, or is that kind of like a different scene? Yeah, yeah we did, but I didn't really know them. Very, you know, just a little bit to hang out. That so we um, so Phoenix at the, that point there was a fifty-five mile an hour. <laughs> speed limit because of the gas crisis okay. so it, it took about three hours at that point to get from tucson to phoenix um but um we played with we played with them and we hung out there were, there were all these bars that in phoenix it, they would you know there would be um a show one night and it would get closed down halfway through and the next time you came up there would be a show somewhere else. So like, you know, you might go one, one time and there would be like the salty dog, which is a biker bar, but the biker bar is closed and there's no bathroom. And so is it a surprise when the police come? Probably not. Or this place that was basically a decommissioned Catholic church that was going to get um, torn down. And, and I don't, I don't know what it was called and it was not around very long, but there was some sort of an altercation. The police was called. And so that place was, got, so we would play, you know, one time, or maybe we wouldn't get to play, or maybe we would play a set. And then the band that everyone had come to see, Social Distortion, never got a chance to play. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I did, I but I didn't, I didn't know them personally no what about the feeders because that's another band that is a feeders, uh, frank discussion yes yeah. the infamous 
Yeah, they um they were kind of um uh I I thought they were really interesting. They you know, I don't think we played with them. We may have played with them, but I I don't know um that we played with them, but I certainly saw them and they were kind of their own, you know, they were at a higher level, I guess. So um and also at the time I was very shy. Um, so, you know, it, um, so, you know, we were friends with Soylent Green. We were friends with JFA. Um, and, uh, what about Killer and Pussy? Meat Puppet. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, on. Killer, yeah, Meat Puppet, certainly. Um, but, yeah. So, um, I think they made the scene really interesting. And the other thing that's kind of funny is there's a literary agent in New York that has the most amazing taste ever. And he was part of that Tucson, the, the Phoenix scene as well. He had kind of a, like a new romantics hair, hairdo, but, um, <laughs> I, and I didn't know him, Yeah. but oh my God, his books are just like the bomb. Really. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I interviewed uh, Don from the germs one time for this other project oh, that I gosh. did. Yeah, because he he's Phoenix too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he told me this wild story about him and Frank discussion mm -hmm. hitchhiking to LA in 75 to hang out with the Manson girls. Mm -hmm. Of course. Of course <laughs> they did. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of a goody two-shoes. I'm sorry to say. I, I think compared to that, we're all goody two-shoes, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are little, you know, they you know the more straight laced the background the more kind of when you're you decide that you're gonna go away from it then you know some people go in a really big way you know so like the people that are leading the mormon church for example mm -hmm. yeah, often doing that very spectacularly so. yeah yeah rum springer i guess is a good example of that too when you, when people get finally are able to go wild people go wild yeah did you get out to ever any other places other than Los Angeles? Like, were there ever any tours up to San Francisco or? Uh, not San Francisco. We went to uh, Denver mm. and Albuquerque and. Who'd you play uh, with in Denver? We played in some gay bar <laughs> where we showed up and they were like, there's a show. We didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing to when you show up in town. Yeah, and I thought this was some kind of special treatment for a band like ours, but apparently, no, it is not not any kind of special treatment. It happens to people all the time. So, um, <laughs> so somehow they managed to put a show together, and um, this was a place with no stage, which is always interesting for lead singers, isn't it? Yes. Um, because then, of course, somebody slammed into me so hard that I fell down and cracked my head my hair fell out of that spot God. i saw stars i was like oh this is what it means to but you know we kept playing anyway but wow um we played with jerry's kids in um albuquerque and i think that show was in a lock shop we played a lot of interesting places oh the, that's awesome too because that's the other yeah. jerry's kids the one that uh yeah. with a z with a z yeah really super record. nice they like cooked dinner for us it was you know really um and and we were also in salt lake city 
we stayed a couple times with these um, guys that promoted shows and we played at this VFW hall. And I remember the guys in the house had like these pit bulls that they were raising. And yeah, it was a little, it was a little something, but the VFW was, was cool. You know, there were a lot of halls like that. Um, were they in a band? Was there like a band in Salt Lake City that you were playing with? Yeah, who were we playing with? I'm gonna have to. I know I there's massacre. Was it massacre guys or no, no? I don't think so. I probably can look it up, but yeah, I can't remember who we were playing with. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I always wanted to play in San Francisco, but we never got that far in part because you know, Bill was going to school mm. and I was working. And so, and we were doing it for fun. We weren't like, you know, doing it as like a career or whatever. We're just, we we're having a good time. You know, we were serious about having a good time, but, you know, it was only going to go so far, I think. Um, well, so. and, and why did you, like, after conflict does break up, like, was there any uh, thought of doing another band afterwards for you or is it? No. Yeah, I was done um, because, in part, because the scene had been, become so um, uncomfortable, mm. um, so kind of very depressingly, you know, people coming in from the frats to beat up the punks and women basically were fleeing because it's just like, just not, this is not fun anymore. And yeah. also I had a girlfriend um, who I thought, this is it. And of course it was not, but, um, and I went to grad school um, so I, yeah, I never really thought about doing any more music, but, um, but you know, what I, what it was, was kind of fun for me is in the bookstore, there are so many people who do music who have really interesting books. And so I got to meet, you know, Alice Bag played, she came with um, Robert Lopez and they played a little show and read from her book violence girl which i recommend fantastic to anybody yeah, yeah just so good yeah and so interesting to see that you know she devoted her life to teaching and encouraging other people to do music and she's living in mexico now and uh john savage is another person we hosted and also lol palberg um, oh, that's awesome here who yeah. was really sweet and I said, oh, my God, I listened to your your band was in, in Tucson. And, you know, it was, you know, just just such a hard time. I was in this town. And he said, you know what? We're all from that small town, <laughs> that small town where you can't you can't wait to, to leave. And, you know, I learned so much from his book. I mean, he, when he was starting with The Cure, it was a time in England when they were still just still doing food rationing post-war mm. mm. it was the 70s and i you know I, I knew things were tough in england but i didn't i didn't realize the degree to which which they were and well it's like very desperation music it seems like for mm -hmm. that first wave of punk rockers over yeah. there yeah and it's something that so inspired me and i had a lot less to be desperate about than than them but it it definitely made me curious i you know Stiff little fingers made me interested in knowing more about what was happening in Northern Ireland. And, and there's that, um, there were a lot of interesting East German punks and um, we hosted somebody who wrote about 
the punk scene in East Germany. It's burning down the house. H A U S. Um, uh, what is that? I got to read that book. That was that was very interesting, and I had gone to um, East Germany, the former East, um, uh, a couple years earlier, and somebody who was basically a punk and an anarchist did our walking tour. Um, so that, and some of the people on our tour were kind of a little irate. You know, it's like <laughs> communists doing this tour. It was kind of like, I, isn't it more interesting to kind of yeah see kind of what? I know Romstein became like, uh, they came out of one of the big East German punk bands or one of the big East mm-hmm. Berlin punk bands back then. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird where yeah. it all winds up. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And there's this kind of international kinship. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 um, part of that. Um, so that, that's been a real, that's been a real blessing and really interesting and a way also to, um, um, connect with with people and also people that came later like Mike McCready um, really into books he and his wife and family are really into books and he did a wonderful Nirvana photo book um, I missed that entire scene I listened to some of the music but you know I was in grad school though I did become really interested in the fastbacks who are still amazing band. band oh absolutely so melodic oh so good yeah they they to me have written nothing but hits since like yeah. 83 like th- that like why isn't yeah. that on the radio yeah i don't i don't really understand it and they did they toured they went to japan mm-hmm. i think pearl jam um they were friends with pearl jam and and other they're one of those bands that other bands love to to listen to and promote but i don't understand why they didn't catch on more i guess it's like uh, i don't know maybe it's the, the you know they weren't presenting necessarily the shiniest version of the world they were presenting their reality mm-hmm. of the world and maybe that was too challenging for people but yeah like i wonder that all the time myself because yeah they're just so great so awesome and i hate to say it too but two girls in a band yeah you know yeah. Yeah. i just you know it's just i understand <sighs> i definitely can see you know because yeah. like it is it is something where you know there's this sort of uh under appreciation for the work people like yourself had mm-hmm. to put in to be in these spaces and and uh you know and not to take away from the fact that these bands are the best punk bands in the world uh, outside of any situation in terms of band membership. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, but you know, we were there, Mm -hmm. um, and in greater numbers, we're still there. And when Alice bag was on, uh, you know, talking to her, it feels Mm -hmm. like she walked away and she, had to like not walked away she she had to she did other stuff with her life but mm-hmm. you know she always had her ear in the scene and was always mm-hmm. around but it, it almost like the scene had to catch up to her oh and, yeah and now she was like back yeah. and and it's you know it's what she wanted she said interesting yeah well the, and, and, but that's the change you fought for right like this yeah. is the change that people fought for now yeah. finally here yeah yeah and yeah it's it's really yeah, it's really a positive thing. I um I when I left when I left um, punk rock behind, went to grad school. I'm going to get serious about doing this. I was going to do a PhD in nursing, so and I ended up leaving 
ABD um, for, you know, various reasons, but, um, you know, punk has brought a lot of good things into my life later on. I mean, it was really interesting when I was doing it. And I think the best thing was not necessarily playing shows or meeting famous people. Or it was like playing with other people, making music together to me was always the thing that I liked the most about it. Mm -hmm. um, but later, um, you know, I would connect with people and, and find out that about the cool things they were doing or that people were still listening to us. Um, there's this guy in Los Angeles, San Francisco named Gordon Edgar. He's a cheesemonger. <laughs> He's a punk rock cheesemonger. He brought his punk politics into his co-op and he, um, he wrote this great book and my, my um, spouse is a literary agent and represented him. And so we went through this entire process and he, um, he did a reading in our store and after the reading happened, and, you know, you signing books and everything. He says, oh, by the way, I really liked your record. I thought what? most people would like lead with that. Please let me speak at your bookstore because look, I know who you are. No, he like did his whole thing. And it's, it's totally, it's totally about how you can take your own values and kind of bring them into this kind of unlikely career that really fits who you are and you can make a real difference in it and you know he i have so much respect for him he's just um so meeting people like that later or mimi Nguyen, who wrote the zine um anatomy of a race riot which you know i wasn't involved in music but i was ordering zines from pander dispro and i think that's probably where i got that one and she became an academic and doing stuff with the politics of fashion and on her facebook page she encouraged people to to submit to this um this exhibit going on at the smithsonian and it um it's called girlhood um it's complicated and so you know so there's famous people stuff in it helen keller's watch and then kind of regular people stuff and one of the things that um one of the sections of this exhibit deals with um, with fashion, and I um, donated photographs and also bracelets and different things that I wore back in the day. A statement, and that became part of that exhibit. So now, stuff that I wore as a punk uh, when I was performing that I was, you know, had keeping around for some reason is now part of the Smithsonian collection and was in this exhibit and it's going to tour it. We were going to go, but you know, COVID, so we didn't get to go, but, um, and you can look at the website and see that and a little statement about, about what it was. And it's not really about conflict. It's more about, um, it's more about kind of, um, uh, I guess creating fashion. That's a reflection of your politics or who you are. Um, so that was that was really kind of amazing. Um, and she's teaching, she's a punk that's teaching the next generation of of, of students about feminism and uh, politics and making a positive change. And so yeah, that's I think that's that's pretty awesome. So and I, I keep running across people like that. 
So, um, it, it, it's awesome. Cause it's like, you know, I, I, even when I was wrapping up university zines were starting to come in mm -hmm. as like a actual, like appreciated literary source, you know, mm -hmm. like you could reference zines on papers in some cases. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome because it is out of, you know, this desperation that you're talking about, like just mm -hmm. kids needing to find an outlet to communicate with the world. And, and through mm -hmm. that, they've changed everything from fashion to academia. Yeah. Yeah. And publishing and um, a lot of people in teaching. Hmm. Interesting. Some scientists, you know, some people just, you know, getting involved in music production. Um, your podcast, really interesting also. Podcasts are fascinating. I um, I hadn't heard of your podcast and Toby told me about it because, you know, there's so many. But, you know, I, I listened to one with Margaret Cho and yeah um that was that oh, was so great to... that was awesome i could not yeah. like getting to do that like well just yeah. doing this podcast has really shown me that anyone i've ever looked at and been like that person's cool mm -hmm. chances are they were a punk i found like yeah. mm -hmm. have you ever yeah. thought about singing again have you ever like felt that kind of pull to get back up on stage or would you ever want to yeah. um i i really haven't thought about it i guess never say never but yeah i hadn't really thought about it um yeah i haven't done any kind of music in a long time um you know it's kind of funny um mariko who was our bass player the pianist um came out recently she's an organ she's a music director at a church and so she's an organist um and as well as many other things she taught music too but um but um so she's still doing music and she came out here for this international organist convention. Um, her her daughter, one of her daughters, is in a band out here. It's kind of fun, um, but um, yeah, I haven't really done anything with music in in many years. I like to listen to it, and mm. you know what I'm really interested in right now is is um, the Eurovision Song Contest, particularly, yeah particularly um these bands from um former soviet republics mm. and so many of them incorporate rap and mm -hmm. folk music like this year's winner um last year's winner no i guess it's still this year college orchestra just did a tour us um and there i think one of their influences is eminem but um they um you know their their song um uh stephania is about a mother the the lead singer's mother but really it's been embraced as um a song of you know supporting their country during this terrible war and invasion um and i have a friend who lives in warsaw and one who lives in, in munich and we all talk about music and they're the ones that got me into eurovision um song contest and and I've kind of taken a deep dive into that, that, um, you know, there's certainly some punk influenced bands, but to me, it's kind of more the punk spirit mm -hmm. that is animating. There's a great song from um, Georgia, the country Georgia called uh, We Don't Want to Put In. And that was right around the time they were being invaded by Russia and their song was disqualified. But, you know, it's just like, if you see the, 
the music videos, you know, it's very clear what it's about. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of where I've been kind of really interested in. in well, I, um, I would love to see a punk version of that. Like you could get, uh, you know, like you'd have um, Deserter from Poland, get mm -hmm. some Icelandic punk bands in there. You mm -hmm. could really do some like awesome stuff. Well, there was a, a band. What was what were they called? Um, World War Three or Four? No, this the Icelandic. Punk, no, what are they called? It's Icelandic punk band actually represented. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, they, this year. Yeah, no, uh, a couple years ago, and they had all these SM con uh, uh, outfits, and they're really heavy metal, and they're singing in this kind of death metal voice, and. <laughs> and got to see a little film of them going to some school with the little school children and they're all like singing along. <laughs> um, it's funny when you yeah. go to Iceland and you start like digging in the record stores and you realize like how many punk bands were there given the mm -hmm. population, it's like one in every 100 people was probably in a punk band in the eighties. And there's a punk museum. Yeah. <laughs> I never got to go there when I was there, but um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen some film of it, but, um, is it the, Oh, the, yeah. about the punk museum specifically or about punk in Iceland? Oh no, it was a punk rock, it's, uh, mostly Iceland, but it's a punk museum. Yeah. They're famous for all their different museums. Hatari is the, or hater is the name of the, um, the band. <laughs> there, oh, I got to check them out. There's there's actually an oh. incredible punk documentary called Rock in Reykjavik. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. Um, And that's, I, I don't, I'm sorry if I can't even begin to print it, uh, spell it, unfortunately. But okay. Uh, uh, but it's because uh, it's like R-A-K-K-I in Reykjavik. Mm -hmm. But it's incredible. And mm -hmm. it's, I think, 84, 82. And it's got a young Bjork wow. with her old punk band on there. And right. Yeah, it, Bjork, right. It's awesome. Back in the day. That's awesome, oh, that yeah. movie. It's so interesting to see how many people just kind of latched on to punk and kind of drew from it and then went on to do some other really creative thing. Yeah. After. And it's international. Yeah. Like you're saying, like it, it, it's it was like all over the world kids were kind of picking up on this energy and it happened all over the world. Like people from these mm -hmm. bands went on to do cool and interesting things and in, in different fields or mm -hmm. in music or whatever. But it's, yeah, like it's, I guess, you know, it's the one place that as a young person, you're told that your voice is valid and mm -hmm. important and people will listen to what you say. Yeah. Some of us were told that our voices were important <laughs> and valid <laughs> enough well, people, I guess that we were able to keep going, but yeah, when I got uh, your record, I felt all those years later that your voice was still important and valid. Oh, thank you. Listening to it. So it is, it uh, maybe, maybe took a while to get that appreciation on a widespread level, but it did yeah. come. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting when people ask, um, you know, they hear, oh, you were a punk singer, what's your band? And then some people, if you were in one of these little pockets where this, um, where our music got to you for one reason or another, or you listen, you read Maximum Rock and Roll or Flipside or something, um, then you might know. But otherwise, I think, um, so I'm always surprised when people have heard of us, but it's always great. Well, but and yeah. I, I think it's that ripple thing, like you're saying, like, mm -hmm. 
you influencing Calvin Johnson, who mm-hmm. winds up playing the record, and Toby hears it and ends influenced Riot yeah. Girl, and where did that go in terms of an influence? Yeah. And it's it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a chain. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's like not even like uh, I want to do exactly like that. It's just sort of like opens up the field of possibility. And the more variety that you're seeing around you, I think the more you think you start thinking about, um, gee, maybe I could do something really interesting. I, um, yeah, I, um, I, you know, I said before, I really want, had wanted to be in a ska band and I, <laughs> I've read a lot of the books by the, you know, like Pauline from the black from the selector particularly and listen to a lot of that music. And, um, it's um i think something about that partly it was seeing an integrated band which i hadn't seen a lot of though there were they were around that i think opened my my mind as far as like what i might be able to do Mm. um and the idea that you don't you don't have to do everything perfectly well you don't have to have you know tons of talent or whatever to just get up and do this and maybe you'll get to do something really fun and maybe you'll get to save something. Maybe it'll mean something. But um, I, I think I resent it when um, people think it's, you know, a bunch of white guys doing heroin and beating each other up, you know, the punk stereotype. I, you know, I hope that people realize that, um, that there were a lot of us doing a lot of different kinds of things. And just because, you know, you didn't necessarily see coverage of that in your town didn't mean that it wasn't happening. Um, and so one of uh, there's this magazine called razor cake that um, talked a lot about, um, did a lot of coverage of LA punks and also at a time when um people really didn't talk about people being Latino or multiracial in these bands and kind of really pointing out, no, this is who we were. This was, these were our backgrounds and this is why our music was like the way it was. Um, I just felt like, okay, finally this story is being told and, mm-hmm. and, and that's important. That's important for the people that did it. And it's important for people now, I think, to realize that it was happening. It's not just something that people invented. Like, you know, it's interesting how people get disappeared from history, I think. Yeah. Um, or or whole yeah. scenes, you know, like whole scenes yeah. don't get talked about and you you just, but I guess that's once again, like the time we're in now, at least a lot of this stuff is being discussed. And I feel like yeah. the history of punk has gotten a lot bigger than the 25 bands that have been used to tell that story since it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people are, people are interested in it. And um, the music is out there. And, you know, in some ways, services like Spotify, that's, you know, there's, there's got to be a way for people to be able to, for musicians that made this music to be able to make some, something off of it, not just have everybody else make, make something off of it. That said, um, it's really opened things up for people to listen to things that were not accessible. So, um, you know, whether that's like Kalu's Orchestra now or, you know, The Brat, you know, one of my favorite bands from L.A. Um, from the 80s. So, um, 
Yeah, and you know, some of this music as is um I guess um in is more enduring than others. Some of it's more of the of the moment. Some bands I think were always best live. I I've always thought that Black Flag was best live. Mm. Um Husker Du also. Um but um but it's nice to be able to access, you know, to to hear hear about a band and think, oh, gee, I'd sure like to hear more of their music. You know, is is there something? It's now more possible to access it. So yeah. it is hard to find the plugs. It is hard. The plugs so, is a very hard band to search, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so are they holding on to their their um, copyright, or what are I, they? What I, are the, I don't know specifically about their situation. Mm -hmm. I know they were on a bunch of different labels over the years. And, you know, I I think that tends to mean that, you know, the rights Mm -hmm. are kind of harder to get back, but someone's got to reissue all their stuff. I got the La Bamba single actually in Arizona this summer when I was on tour at a record fair. Oh my God. That's so great. You mean like, like, like from like a collectible yeah oh yeah like an og 45 there was a record fair at this festival we played in tucson actually Mm -hmm. and uh they had a record fair and i walked in and that was the first single i saw and i've wanted a copy of that for a long time i still need the first single but uh very excited to get that wow that would that is a that is a find well that probably that might have wound up there on that show you're talking about when the plugs came through uh, yeah well, that Electrify Me, I think, was out. And that's what I had bought, you know, at our mm. little record store. And I think, you know, just like I bought everything that had women, all the bands that had women somewhere in there, I tried to buy um, bands that had people of color. As well. Yeah. And now, what an explosion. There's mm. this Instagram page called um, um, P- uh, POC and then underscore punk. Mm-hmm. And it has like, pictures of all these and we were on there one time but um people from i don't know decades worth of people um playing music um a lot of the bands i'd never heard of i just um it's just such a wealth of of um it's just exciting just to kind of page through it and see see who's there and and think about the music they were doing and um well, like you were saying there were all these people were always there and it's just yeah. now that people are yeah. able to kind of realize it well and i feel like so much of punk history was it was obviously written by white dudes but mm-hmm. uh, white dudes with very limited narrow tastes where it was just like yeah, sex like, pistols black flag into green day into nirvana into yeah. green day all over yeah. and over again and they're great and that's yeah. fine and but you know the the guy that the guys that ran these record stores they were white guys but you know they listened to everything and they were they were interested and so that's the difference i think so yeah i think yeah that's (laughs) it's interesting to see um what the bands themselves would be listening to and it often would be like really weird like Oscar Du would listen to Muzak. And if you drove around with them, they'd be playing Muzak in the car. We listen to that other stuff all the time. We gotta, this is how we decompress. It's just like, okay. <laughs> and um, the Black Flag, um, Chuck from the Black Flag was really into Trouble Funk. So 
So I heard about Trouble Funk and, and, and I got a little bit into hip hop, but you know, that was around the time that I was like really dedicate, dedicating myself to serious study. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get to, um, didn't get to, to, so now later on, I, you know, I get to listen a little bit more, but um, yeah, I definitely, that kind of that sweet spot of kind of in between is, is really interesting, I think. Well, this has been really interesting. And anytime, Karen, you want to come back on here and talk about punk or whatever, you know the door is always open. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, your podcast is teaching me a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm, so how long have you been playing? Uh, I've been doing, I've been in a band. Well, I've been in a, in bands, I guess, since I was 14. So 94. Uh, um, but uh, my current band's been going uh, since 2001. That that is an accomplishment. That the, the you know it's staying in a band that long. That's that is that is work. That is commitment and or it's stagnation. One of the two. <laughs> no, much much respect. That is um, that's that's really great. So yeah. So thanks for being interested. Thanks for for being a fan. I'll send you a I'll send you a link to the college orchestra. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> YouTube, you can see it. It's just really fun. People are doing great stuff. Thank you, Karen, for coming on the show. And you heard right there. Hopefully, Karen will be back at some point in the future uh, for more conversation. And once again, thank you very much, Toby Vale, for the assist on that one. Because, uh, yeah, I got, I, got, I got to find out about a lot of stuff I wondered about for a very long time. All right. Speaking about wondering about things uh you're probably wondering what's coming up on the next episode of turned out a punk well we got a doozy for you not only is it the return of tommy stinson to turned out a punk from the replacements and a little band called guns and roses and, and soul asylum we talk about all this stuff in his first appearance on the show and, and more in this next appearance because i am joined on this episode by well as i refer to him my mentor my my hero my friend the great john worster of course from the best show plays in mountain goats x of super chunk plays with bob mold a legend and a and a music trivia sleuth resource uh aficionado beyond reproach and, and a punk expert so this is a a great one i'm I think it's way better than the first time Tommy was on the show. I think Tommy would say that too. The first time is like a half hour. This one's way longer. So anyway, that is it. I'm excited for you to hear it as you can hear. And that's it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights. And, and make sure that people keep their hands out of other people's reproductive choices. Uh, we aren't talking about political issues here. These are all basic human rights issues people have the right to uh, live free from hatred and and violence and oppression and so if there's organizations in your local community or in this world that you think are affecting positive change you, you get involved you know volunteer your time your your money if they need it or if you have it like there's a lot you can do to help out causes then and, and that'll help you feel better and speaking of helping you feel better on a deep level try meditation I didn't, I didn't, you know, know about it. 
I know a lot of people have known about it for a very long time, but I'm not going to pretend I discovered it, but it has definitely helped me since I started trying to uh, apply uh, meditation to uh, my daily routine. So maybe it'll work for you. Lots of free ways to try it. And if it doesn't work at first, stick with it because it took a few times before it kind of clicked with myself and maybe it'll be the same with you. Speaking of you, get involved. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Maybe not a podcast, but do anything. Any of this stuff can be done and who knows where it leads, you know? And then you can look back on it years later when you're completely removed from it and reflect on it, or it could change the course of your life forever. So who knows? But try, try making something. You know, anyone can do this stuff. Speaking of stuff that anyone can do, sign your organ donor cards, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you do not need them anymore. And they can perform miracles with those things. I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, not the actual surgery part, but I've seen the miracles afterwards that have come about because of organ transplants. So sign your organ donor cards. And I think that's it for me. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.